bringing those messages and songs and that great invitation hymn of course there at the last and uh, we appreciate that can we turn please in our bibles if you have a bible with you or a new testament the first corinthians in the chapter 9 the first corinthians the first epistle of paul to the somewhat troubled church at corinth but nevertheless he he wrote to them on the chapter 9 when i was thinking and praying about the the messages that uh, the lord would have me preach particularly the first message we tend to take them one message at a time and uh, that was last week we had a little time of prayer in the minister's room and the verse that i want to quote and uh, preach from tonight was quoted in prayer and then i came out into the, the church building here and I saw the text, the same text at the back of your church, a reminder to the preacher. There's the gospel text, of course, on both sides of the pulpit. That's where you're looking, but the preacher's looking at the back of the church. And we have the words of my text tonight uh, in the words of verse 16. And let me read them to you, just the one verse to read this evening. The Apostle Paul says, For though I preach the gospel I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, he says. Here's the text at the back. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And this, of course, is my first night here at the mission. God willing, there'll be a few more nights. And I want this to be the keynote of in a sense, the mission, Noel started it off last night, but really for, in a sense, for both of us as, as the evangelists tonight, woe be only us if you can get through two weeks of gospel mission and go in and out of this church and not hear the gospel uh, being preached. Let's seek the Lord in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence tonight in the lovely and precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the meeting thus far, pieces that the girls have brought to us, the hymns that we have sung together as a congregation, the reading of the Scriptures, and now the preaching of the Word of God. We feel our need of Thee. Without Thee, Lord, we can do nothing. And I pray that I might have, even this night, that powerful, gracious, and filling of the Spirit of God. May there be a word for all who are gathered, on sea of people in the meeting tonight. May they be thinking already, Lord, what if, what if I was to slip over the deadline tonight? And Lord, these are words that are solemn words. May there be a word for any who is backslidden in the meeting tonight. Heart is cold, no longer walking in fellowship with the Lord. Restore such a one tonight. And may there be among us, Lord, as your people, a little reviving in the midst of the years. Lord, in the midst of the years, make known. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. It would be a great tragedy for us tonight if the, the force of the apostles' words of our text were lost to us just in the reading of the text. Maybe we're familiar with these words. 
and it would be very easy for us just to glance over them and not really to take them in board. With all the heartfelt solemnity of a man sent of God, the Apostle Paul calls the wrath and the curse of God upon himself if he feels in his duty, or as he has it worded here in, his, in the text, the necessity that is laid upon him, that is, of preaching the gospel of Christ. It's a very fearful thing that he has done, because the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and especially to endure his anger and his curse. For that's what the apostle means when he says, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I would remind you tonight of the words of the Savior in Matthew chapter 23, when on a number of occasions, that is, in a number of times, one after the other, number of verses there, he lashed the Pharisees. Woe, he says, woe unto you. And he did so with repeated condemnation before finishing off with that dreadful question, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? I remind you of the various woes that are found in the book of the Revelation. If I read uh, that book right, these are woes that are yet to come. And again, they curdle the blood when read and understood. So it's a very solemn thing which Paul has done here. But it is also at the same time, a very useful thing that he has done, because surely it brings somewhat dramatically to us, to our notice, the supreme importance of the gospel. How could we miss it? The gospel is not something to be trifled with, much less to be trampled underfoot, something to be ignored, despised, and rejected. And therefore, I feel tonight that we would do well if we let these great words of Paul focus our minds on this old, old story, as the hymn writer put it, of Jesus and his love. Very simply, tonight, in the time that is left to us, we have three main points, three main thoughts that we must give some consideration to. I think these words of the Apostle Paul, first of all, show the importance, number one, of defining the gospel, of defining the gospel. You see, Paul's necessity, the burden that he felt upon him, concerned the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the gospel of Christ alone, to the exclusion of any other message or philosophy or any other supposed gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ alone is the power of God on the salvation to everyone who believes. And the Apostle Paul, on another occasion, writing to the church at Galatia, he warned of those who would come preaching another gospel. And again, he invoked the curse of God upon, him, upon them. So you can see tonight, if I can use 
the illustration and not be misunderstood. We are playing here for the highest of stakes because you just can't go around. It would be taking the Lord's name in vain at the very least. It would be a blasphemy at the very most to just invoke the wrath of God at will. But you can invoke the wrath of God and the curse of God. Let him be anathema when there is any interference with the gospel of Christ. So it's very important tonight, and it's vital, that we give a very, very clear definition and a very clear statement of what the gospel of Christ is. If the trumpet, the Bible says, gives an uncertain sound, then who shall prepare himself for the battle? And the gospel of Christ, it comes to us against the backdrop of man's fall in the Garden of Eden and the consequent guilt that the Bible says has come across and upon the whole human race. The key verse in the Bible, of course, is Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, where it says, by one man, that is, by Adam, sin has entered into the world. It's already here. It's not just that it's coming. It has already entered into the world, and death by sin, and therefore death has passed upon all men. Why is that? Because all have sinned. And again, it says, come short of the glory of God. Every one of us tonight, no matter where we're from, who we are, what we think of ourselves, we are all part of a fallen and a rebellious race, a people who hate God by nature, hate God our creator and our sustainer. The Bible says we're not only part of that common herd, but that we are individually guilty. We are guilty because we have broken the law of God, we have done so in thought, in word, and in deed. And not only have we broken the law of God, the Bible says we do so daily, and we do so willingly. Sinful man takes pleasure in others who will join him in his crimes against God. The Bible says he loves darkness rather than the light, because his deeds are evil. I put a question out for consideration tonight. It's really rhetorical, isn't it? Can man hope to continue in such crime against God? If you were breaking the law of the land, would you imagine, oh, I can keep doing this? I can keep robbing banks and post offices, or I can keep frauding here and there. Can I keep doing this, and I will not be caught? Well, when it comes to crime against God, the breaking of the law of God, what we call sin, if a man thinks he can continue in that crime against God, then he must read the Bible, if he reads it at all, and he leads himself astray, because God says he will require an account of us. God requireth that which is past. It says that he will by no means clear the guilty, and that he has appointed a day, a day that is yet to come, called the day of judgment. And the gospel to you will not be a plaything, an interesting hobby, 
but it will be to you a lifeline from the pending wrath of God for your sins. What is this gospel of which we speak? The heart of the gospel is this, that the justly offended God. You know, a lot of people today take offense. It's almost an industry, isn't it? Some people walk miles, drive miles just to be offended. But an offended God who has every right to be offended on his own initiative, graciously and mercifully has made a way back to himself. Paul described his burden elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 5, as being the ministry of reconciliation. The cry of the gospel preacher is this to sinners, be ye reconciled to God. And the reason why you can be reconciled to God, the reason why God can still be just, can be just and holy and righteous and still pardon the guilty sinner is this, because God in his matchless love, he sent his own sinless son, the Bible says, to bear the guilt and the wrath of our sins upon the cross. And tonight if we trifle with the gospel, then we are trifling with the shed blood of the Son of God. And the great proof that our Lord Jesus really did bear our guilt, and he really did bear our sin lies not only on that great cry of the cross, there were a number of cries, perhaps the darkest of all the cries, when the Lord had led in him the iniquity of us all, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There, there, there is an indication that there was something being done at that moment in time. Our Lord was burying away the sin of the world. But there's another cry from the cross. It's not the cry of desolation tonight. It's the cry of victory. The sixth cry out of the seven assists. He cried with a loud voice that all might hear, it is finished. And he really did pay the price. He really did pay the debt. And not only did he cry, it is finished, but we know how they buried him in the tomb for three days, three days and three nights. And on the third day, the Bible says, he rose again from the dead. He was delivered for, that is, on account of our transgressions. He was raised again from the dead for, on account of our justification. And the cherry on the top here is the great fact of all the benefits of his death. When he died on the cross, it was to secure for us pardon for our sins, the vile, the wicked, the dark, the many sins, forgiveness, liberty, freedom from the bondage of sin, and a home in heaven, and much more the fact that it's all free without money and without price. But the Bible might say, whosoever will may come and take freely of the water of life, and should they come, they will have that guarantee that Jesus said in John 6 and 37, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's, that's the message that the Apostle Paul and the apostles with him and others, that's that, uh, the, the gospel that Paul put himself under such an oath to preach. And this is the very same 
gospel that we are preaching in this mission. Oh, we say tonight, forsake the false gospels and the false gospelers who would tell you our ways. You say, but they are sincere people. You know, sincerity is a great thing. When the Lord led all those woes against the Pharisees, he called them hypocrites, and nobody likes the hypocrite. And sincerity is a great thing. But it's not enough if you sincerely believe a falsehood. A falsehood that effectively makes you your own savior in one way or another. If you hear a gospel like that, you, you think of these words. You put it far from you. Again, it is the gospel of Christ alone, which is the power of God unto salvation. So it shows you there the importance of defining the gospel. But then it shows something else tonight, number two. It shows the importance of preaching the gospel because that's the strong verb in the text. It's always important with a text. I always say that you look at the verb, the doing word. And the apostle Paul here uses this verb, woe is unto me, he said, if I preach not the gospel. Oh, who led this great necessity and this consequent oath and loyalty to it upon you, Paul. Well, Paul would say it was Christ himself, personally on the road to uh, Damascus. You remember when he was converted, and there it was made clear to him that he would, uh, Paul would bear the name of Christ. He would do so before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And he was faithful to that calling that he had. But always remember, too, the apostle Paul was included in the Great Commission. And the Great Commission was given to the church at large. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go teaching all nations, preaching repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul never wavered from this charge. And when Paul came to die, and he died a martyr's death, he was sitting in a prison cell. And there's a young man who's going to be the second generation of preachers coming behind him. For this gospel must be preached right to the end of the world. And he writes to young Timothy, and he says to Timothy, who's in the flower of his youth, he's in the prime of his manhood, he says to Timothy from a prison cell, he has had time to think about this, he has no regrets, and he says to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. What does it mean to so preach? To preach the gospel is to set forth, as I have done in my first point, the basic facts of the gospel, the historical facts that on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, and that a man died upon the cross, and he, he cried at his finish. That's historical facts, but the theological truths that when he died, he died for our sins, that he has provided redemption by his blood, and then to make relevant the personal application. We have a great example of apostolic preaching in Acts chapter 2. There were 3,000 people saved. They were doing something right. And it's very noticeable that the sinner does not take often too well to the act of gospel preaching. You get talking to people, it makes maybe very personal, 
I remember in a, a meeting like this, somebody listening and saying, oh, they say, don't preach at me. I come up very early in the, in, in the conversation. Why is that? Well, it might be that the preacher is at fault. And it could be an inexperienced preacher, the attitude problem, lot to learn. There's times when the seal outruns the knowledge and the wisdom. Yes, we're granted. We've been, we call that the cage stage, and we've all been there. Sometimes that can happen. But often, and I'll put to you more often than not, it reflects a deeper problem. A problem that lies in the sinner's own heart. And when someone is showing disdain to the gospel, notwithstanding the seal and so on, the young preacher, whatever, you know there's a bigger problem again. It's the utmost rebellion of the sinner coming to the surface. It's his hatred of the authority of God's word. It's, it's an underlying issue there. It's a spirit of old, old wicked Pharaoh. You no, know, Moses went into Pharaoh. He says, the Lord says, let my people go. And old Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who's the Lord? Who is he? That I should let the people go, that I should obey his voice. Maybe you're saying that tonight. Well, who is, who is the Lord? Who is God? First of all, he's your creator. He's your creator. His is the hand that feeds you. His is the law that you are under by reason of your existence. The law which you have smashed every single day. And when you challenge him, then he's taking note of it. He's calling you to repentance and faith. You see the pride of the sinner too in this hated gospel preaching. There was an old preacher in the Old Testament, a man called Isaiah. God called him to preach the word. God commissioned him. He will go. For me, I will go, says Isaiah. And the Lord, the Lord sent him forth. And Isaiah went out and he preached the word of God. And they came to him in the 30th chapter. And they said words to this effect to him. If you must preach, if you must preach, preach unto us smooth things, smooth things, nice things, things that will settle us down. And you know, it's sad to say there's a lot of boys in pulpits cater for that kind of thing. Tell them what they want to hear and they will come back. And you know, there's no gospel preacher worth his salt would heed that request for 10 seconds. Paul did not bind himself to this great oath for a whole load of fairy stories or what Peter called cunningly devised fables designed, and I believe by a hand deeper than some old coward of a preacher, designed to chloroform men and the guilt of their sins. And the Bible tells us what will happen in uh, these last days. When Paul wrote to young Timothy from that prison cell, and he says, preach the word and be instant in season and out of season, he says, because the time will come 
when men shall have itching ears, and they will heap to themselves, note the verb again, they will heap to themselves teachers who will turn away their ears from the truth and turn them on to fables. And he says they will not endure sound doctrine. See, the Bible tells us, this is what we're up against when we have missions like this or your weekly meeting, any gospel effort. The natural man left to himself without the work of the Spirit of God, the natural man who is blinded, who is chained by the devil, he will not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The natural carnal mind that controls man, the Bible says, is at war at enmity with God. And the answer, therefore, is not, despite all the temptation to do it, is not to water down the message. It's not to stop the preaching, because the act of preaching testifies to the grandeur and the authority of the message and its sender. The answer is to preach, whether men will hear or forbear, whether it is in season or out of season, Paul says to Timothy, just you preach the word. Why would you do that if no man wants it? I'll tell you why. Because it pleases God, and it pleases God by the foolishness of preaching. What men, what men disdain, what men sneer at, pleases God by the foolishness of preaching to save those and only those who will believe. This text shows us something else, the importance of defining the gospel, the importance of preaching the gospel. Thirdly and lastly, it shows the importance of believing the gospel. And believing in the Bible is not merely something that starts and ends with the head. Now, that's a very important thing. It starts with the head because the Great Commission was go and teach all nations. And a man cannot believe something that he, that he cannot understand. You can't put your trust in something that you don't know what or who you are trusting. But we've got to believe and trust with our heart. You see, if all you have is head knowledge, You've been brought up from early days in the gospel. You went to Sunday school. You went to children's meeting. You've learnt your little catechism. You sang hymns. Uh, you know them backwards. You, you're, you're so familiar with the gospel. But all you have is a head knowledge. It's up here. But it's not in here in the heart. Well, then you're going to be lost. You're going to be lost forever. A hundred years from tonight, you'll be in the blackness of darkness forever because the Bible says the very devils of hell. It says they believe. That is, they have a head knowledge. They met the Savior. We know who thou art, the Holy One of God. The devil believes the Bible. The devils believe the Bible. They tremble at God's Word, but they're lost forever. So what you need to do tonight is embrace this message of a crucified Savior, God's only Son who died upon the cross and bore away all our sins on His own body to the tree.
embrace this message by faith. See yourself as a lost sinner. Put away the excuses that you're trying to cover your spiritual nakedness with because you're just bluffing. You're just bluffing yourself. And you're maybe bluffing a, fool, a, a few fools round about you. But always remember, God can't be bluffed. Be not deceived in this matter. God is not mocked. And you need to come as a sinner to the cross. Gaze afresh, renew eyes on the Son of God. See the tremendous cost of the forgiveness of your sin. We have redemption, the Bible says, through His blood, the shed blood of the Lamb. And abandon tonight. That may be the hard part. Abandon your man made efforts to save yourself. That's what the Apostle Paul with Saul of Tarsus had to do. Later on he said, and I'm quoting him here, he counted but dung all his attempts to save himself. In order, he says, that I might obtain Christ and his salvation. That's the only way to be saved. And the great severity of Paul's oath here is a solid proof. You know, you don't get on like this, the way Paul's getting on, as we would say. If there was half a dozen way, ways to God, if that was the case, you would say, Paul, you're a fanatic. You're out of order, Paul. You're, you're going too far in, in calling the wrath of God upon you. If there's more than one way to God, just because it's not your way, and there's another five ways, and people would rather go that way. No, it doesn't work like that. This is faithfulness to God and his word. The Lord Jesus said, note the singular here, I. Not we, not me and Buddha and Confucius and the whole gang of them there. I am the way, he said. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father except or but by me. He starts with the singular. He ends with the singular. Peter was there that day and heard him. When Peter preached, Peter said of Christ, Neither is there salvation in any other. No other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And I say in closing tonight, if such be the woe against a man called into the ministry of the word to be an evangelist, the preacher, standing in the pulpit tasked with preaching the word of God, as such be the woe against the man who holds back the truth of preaching. Then think of the woe that lies upon the one who hears that preaching but doesn't come to Christ. Four verses in that great invitation, him, O sinner, O sinner, the Savior is calling for thee long, long as he called thee in vain. He called thee when joy lent its crown to thy days. He called thee in sorrow and pain. Then the invitation, O turn, turn while he's waiting, steer for the harbor light. And then you have that verse there at the end. It's a fearful verse, isn't it? What if you crossed the deadline tonight and you were lost forever? You see, the Bible asks the question, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? It's rhetorical, there's no escape. 
There's no second chances. Only one life in this earth. This vapor is passing away. For tonight in a gospel meeting, what a, what a glorious opportunity. Everything's lining up for you tonight. You're in the right place at the right time. And the right and the only Savior is being presented. What will you do? What will you do with him tonight? Who is this night before you lie? And you the choice must make. One leads upward to the sky, the other, the other to the lake. A lake that burns with fire forever and ever. There's a waiting Savior tonight. We've delivered our soul tonight. We've preached the word. We invite you humbly, reverently, lovingly. This will be a great night for you to be saved. Even where you're sitting in your seat, maybe you're kind of shy and all that kind of thing, you understand that we have sat where you have sat. But even in your seat, just lift up your heart to the Lord. Tell him you're the sinner Jesus came to save. Ask him to save you, and he'll do it. For he would have all men to be saved, the Bible says, and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why the necessity is laid, and he lays it upon the preacher to preach the word. Or you want maybe to speak with us afterwards? Well, we'll be around for a little while yet. We're in no big hurry away tonight. I haven't far to go. And if you want to speak with me or with Noah or with the uh, Reverend McIntyre, well, we're your servants for Jesus' sake. That's by our heads, please, in prayer. The meeting will be over just in a moment or two. And just in the quietness of the meeting, remember you're in the presence of God. God is here and not the blesses with the Spirit's quickening power. Will you not come to Christ? Oh, be saved. His grace is free. Oh, be saved. He died for thee. You come to him and claim the promise, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Heavenly Father, thank you for your help tonight in the preaching of thy word. Oh, there was a necessity laid upon us. We had to rise to it. And Lord, we didn't pull back. Oh, we trust we, we preached with love. We preached kindly to the people. We spoke to their hearts. Lord, it's your word. These are solemn things. Apostle Paul knew the solemnity of it. He wasn't overreacting in what he did. Such being the importance of the gospel and the preaching of it. The necessity of men believing. If they would enter into the kingdom of God. Oh, that men and women would press into the kingdom. The door is open wide. Heaven is waiting. The angels are watching. We pray that some soul in the gathering tonight, well, we're within the gathering here in the church, maybe watching on through the social media, perhaps in the far end of the world, somewhere out there, Lord will be saved. And the angels of God will rejoice. And Lord, if we hear about it, we will rejoice as well. And God will get all the glory for salvation is to the praise of the glory of his grace. 
Part us now with your blessing, Lord, and in your fear. The blessing of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Rest, remain, and abide with us all, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening.